name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Once upon a time, there was a stonecutter who lived all alone. While he had acquired great skill in his craft, he was quite poor. He lived in a humble bamboo hut, and his clothes were tattered from work day in and day out. And one day, he was out um, practicing his craft, and as he chiseled away at a rock, he heard a great commotion above his hammer. So he looked up, and he saw crowds that began to gather. He went over, and he asked somebody what was going on, and they said, well, the king was coming to their humble village. So he joined the, the throngs of folks that were beginning to gather, and he watched as all, including himself, were in awe at the king and the adoration they had for the king and the opulence of the king and all that he wore and all the people that were in his caravan. And he thought to himself, surely there's no one more powerful than the king. Oh, I wish how I were a king. And as the story goes, no sooner did he utter those words than he found himself arrayed in fine apparel on a horse, and he had folks bowing down to him. He'd found, indeed, he became a king. And he enjoyed his newfound power until summer came. And as he watched the sun beating down on the earth, and he watched folks cower between, beneath its heat and its um, rays, he thought, surely there's nothing more powerful than the sun. Oh, how I wish I were like the sun. No sooner did he utter his words than he found himself as the sun. And as he enjoyed his newfound uh, power and as he beat down with rays on the earth and watched kings and, and paupers cower beneath trees and umbrellas, he was happy. So he thought until one day a little cloud appeared, blocking his rays, and he thought, surely now there must be nothing more powerful than this cloud. Oh, how I wish I were like a cloud. And so his words were completed, and he found himself as such, and he, he grew himself into this great powerful cloud, and he rained down from the heavens on the earth, and great rivers and lakes emerged, and he watched as nothing was untouched except for the stones, which remained immovable and in place. And he said to himself, surely there's nothing more powerful than a stone. I wish I could be like these immovable rocks. And so he was. And as the heavens opened up and the elements were there and the sun beat down and the rains came and the winds beat around, he was immovable. And he thought, this is power. Until one day, a stone cutter came along. <laughs> you know where this is going. And he took out his hammer and his chisel and began to chisel away. And he said, surely, there's nothing more powerful than this stone cutter. Oh, how I wish I were a stone cutter once more. The fable ends where it began, as he was no different than where he left off, but now he had contentment. That theme of contentment is one I'd like for us to dwell on as we wrap up our stewardship drive this morning. It's an elusive one, certainly, in our culture, is it not? But more than just kind of dwelling upon what does it take to be content, I'd like to talk about this idea of truly craving contentment which our stewardship um, in the Lord in all aspects of our lives, but certainly within our financial means, is, is a topic that assists us towards that end. And while there's many passages to which we could turn, um, I'd like to invite you, if you've got your Bibles, to open back with me to uh, 1 Timothy 
beginning in chapter 6, or to follow along on the screens, where we're going to explore this idea of craving contentment therein. And as we dwell on it, to discover um, a couple lessons that may assist us as we do. Now, to jog your memory, in, in Timothy's letter here, the reason Paul is writing Timothy in, in this, well, most of his letter, is because of the challenges in Ephesus. Um, the Ephesians um, ha had become greedy, and so he's addressing that in this area. They'd also wandered off into false teachings, so he's addressing that in another section. Um, they, they craved power. I mean, anything you could imagine, any problem that could enter the church was there in Ephesus. And so Paul is writing Timothy, uh, both to provide Timothy with instruction, um, because Timothy was the overseer, as we'd call it, the bishop, right, for that region, um, and um, also to spur Timothy on, because it was a, kind of a disheartening thing to be playing whack-a-mole with all of this time and time again. And so in this portion of Paul's letter, he's addressing this topic of, of finances. He's addressing this topic, really, of greed. And so in verse 6, as we pick up, Paul writes really on a play on words, but godliness with contentment is great gain. That image of what we pursue or seek to gain, Paul really flips on its head in a spiritual way. Godliness that pursues contentment, it is of great gain. Unless you forget, Paul continues, because we love Paul. He never pulls his punches, and he always tells you exactly what he thinks. Lest you forget, in verse 7, um, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. That old adage you've heard from every preacher, you've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul, right? We know that. God formed us in our mother's womb, and we did nothing to bring ourselves into existence, and we carry nothing into the world with us, and try as we may, we can take nothing out of the world. It only takes about once a month when some new archaeological dig pops up, and you know, they crack open some coffin or sarcophagus, and there are all the riches that they were going to take to the next life that we recognize. Try as we may, nothing really leaves with us from that place. So Paul then tells us, of course, that if we have food and clothing with these, we'll be content. He reframes where we find contentment. And so with that, I think we discover perhaps um, a first lesson about craving contentment, and it's this. Um, as we crave contentment, it creates perspective. It creates perspective. By that, I mean um, if we learn to steward our lives, of which our financial stewardship, again, is only a part, but as we've been talking about, if we learn in that area to, to pattern our lives as Scripture uh, lays forth, and certainly um, as we've looked at in prior weeks, returning to the Lord a portion or even a tenth, right, as, as is there, the other 90% gives us perspective. In a world that, that is insatiable, as we learn to live within our means on 90%, it creates a perspective that we can be content, that we have what we need, that, that, that God will take care of us, and that um, we can rest in that. And we'll, we'll flee after all these other things that really don't give us that contentment that we pursue. We heard that in our gospel reading that Father Greg just read a moment ago, of course, as well, um, from Jesus in Matthew's account at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, reminding us that if we seek first the kingdom of God, all else will be added unto us. God knows what we need. Jesus contextualizing that as only the Son of God can do, 
reminds them, if you, if you need a reminder, look out on creation itself. It doesn't take but a moment to think about the, the wonderful flowers that we enjoy. Don't toil to bring forth the colors that we see in all their majesty. The plants don't strive to, to put deeper roots down into the ground to try to seek sources of water. They don't fret over whether or not they'll be tended to, and, and they're here today and gone tomorrow, and, and how much more does our Heavenly Father care for us? It's a wonderful reminder. It gives us um, a perspective towards that end and gives us a way um, that life gets reframed in that manner. I'm going to leave you a, a wonderful quote. I'm going to put it up before you. Uh, one of the greatest preachers of all time, his name was um, St. John Chrysostom. It's called The Gold-Tongued Preacher. Had a way with words. And uh, I love this. So I'm going to leave this before you. I'll read it to you. He just has this wonderful um, way to put things together on this topic. He wrote, Is a pearl beautiful? Yet consider, it is but seawater, and was once cast away in the bosom of the deep. Our gold and silver beautiful, yet were and are but dust and ashes. Our silken vestments beautiful, yet they are nothing but the spinning of worms. This beauty is but an opinion, in human prejudice, not in the nature of things. But let us recover from this intoxication. Let us fix our view upon that which is truly beautiful, beautiful in its own nature, upon godliness and righteousness. There, that topic of not being intoxicated, not being ensnared, is really where the middle of this reading goes. If we turn back there, um, there's some great reminders towards that end. Um, back in verse 9, if we turn to our text once more. Paul continues, um, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pains. So Paul pulls forward this reminder that if, if the ends, namely the created things that God gives us, the tools that God gives us um, to find what we need in this life become the ends in themselves, um, it will miss the mark every time. And so Paul reminds us, of course, um, that that desire, if misoriented or twisted, um, will, will run us afoul every single time. We see it certainly not just in the church, as Paul writes to, but I need only say the word Enron, and everyone knows, right, the, the, the ends that that brings, not just to institutions in the secular realm, but to all other wakes and manners of life. It's for that reason, of course, now we have business ethics, control officers, SEC, all these regulations to try to manage human desire, which at the end of the day, um, you know, sometimes helps, but where there's a will, there's often a way, and we see those stories pop up every now and again. And so we're reminded, of course, that um, that, that ruin is not just financial ruin, but more, more broadly, more, um, more poignantly, is, is ruin, really the ruin of our souls, which is, is something that we can't just recover in some way. And Paul leaves kind of a sobering word. It's for that reason, of course, um, the love of money um, becomes a root of evil. Now, again, we should note that Paul is not opposed to the material realm. He's opposed to materialism. And so he's wanting us to see, of course, um, that the created order is good. But he pulls forward this wonderful reminder as he's driving towards this topic that may be a second point for us to consider, um, and it may be an obvious one.
But in our financial stewardship, um, it helps us find contentment by giving us perspective, but it likewise helps curb materialism. It trains us to reorder our desires in many ways. It helps us re-envision the things that God's entrusted to us um, in a bit of a different way so that they don't ensnare us as well. So in many ways, um, as we learn to manage uh, what God has entrusted to us in this um, manner, it helps us towards that end. Now again, Paul is not opposed um, to the material realm. Uh, he writes in Romans and elsewhere, and he's, even as we remember, of course, tonight, that God will redeem all of creation. Um, it is not bad. It is not, it's a neutral. Um, it's been twisted and perverted as all things have because of sin. Um, but at the end of the day um, is a, a piece of what God gives us towards that end. So it helps us reframe that um, and think about that. And so with these kind of reminders, then Paul leaves us essentially at the end of our text with, uh, if you will, an action item, so to speak, um, as he writes specifically to Timothy here in verse 11, um, but really to all of those who would have ears to hear as the scriptural phrase goes. And he writes, but as for you, Timothy, O man of God, flee these things. Flee these things. That word translated flee is only used two places in Paul's letters. One in addressing material snares, as it is in this text. The other is sexual temptation. Those are the only two places Paul uses the word flee in front of a topic. Now, if we think about that, Paul's written on all sorts of things, right? Food sacrificed to idols. What does he say? Well, you know, uh, weigh that out, uh, weigh out the weaker brethren, think about the impact, think about these things. He writes about all aspects and manner of life and ways in which to engage them, engaging your public officials, pray for them. You know, he has all these topics covered. But when it comes to those two things, flee. Don't, don't wrestle it down. Don't try to justify it. Don't try to play with it. Just run away. He knows that you're playing with fire, right? If we get into that place where we think, well, I, surely I can kind of conquer that and still, Paul just says, just don't go there. Um, it, it doesn't end well. And so fleeing doesn't just mean run away, but it's running toward. And so he says, as you flee, flee toward righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, the things that get robbed of you by that as an end unto itself. And so Paul um, reminds us that as we run away from these snares, we run toward the very virtues that assist us in continuing in this life. And so and for that reason, Paul, in that wonderful imagery in verse 12, concludes this section, this thought, fight the good fight in the faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and to which you made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. One final lesson, I think, that emerges for us toward this end, um, quite simply, is this, that um, the way in which we attend to this aspect of our discipleship helps us continue in the faith. It helps us keep the course. So if, for instance, we, we learn to live within our means, say, on 90%, according to the biblical principle therein, you do something that, that arguably the rest of the world doesn't know how to do which is to not get stuck in the hamster wheel of, of craving after other things, which then sends you into debt, which then makes you pursue more things to then pay off those things, to then try to get to a place, and then those things wear out, and then you've got to... I mean, we know how that works. We see it all the time. The moment you walk out these doors and click on the radio, you're already bombarded with ads. We have marketing departments that try to tell us, 
if you order your cravings after this thing or that, it will, it's worth it. You're worth it. And of course we are. We're made in the image of God. But um, when we find those things, they won't find uh, contentment towards that end. And so Paul leaves us with this reminder, keep the faith, stay the path. Don't get ensnared by these things. God knows what you need. Find peace in that and continue on in the, in the upward call of Christ Jesus upon your lives. So it's for that reason um, today, specifically, we, we call this Commitment Sunday. Now, before I talk about where we're going next, let me first say, um, if you're visiting um, or this is not your church home, you didn't find the worst Sunday of the year to pick. Um, <laughs> we, we will have a response in a moment. Um, but we don't expect that of those who don't call this their church home. What, what I would challenge you to say is, in a moment, um, those who call this their home are going to put a basket here on the altar. They come forward and, and bring their commitments before the Lord for the coming year. Um, if this isn't your church home, might I just ask you to think about or wrestle in prayer where you are, um, how a greater commitment to Jesus might look, not in terms of finances, but just how might you move closer to him? Um, if you've never made a commitment to Jesus, what, what might that look like? And what might that do? How does this topic of contentment among all the others that, that Jesus teaches on resonate within you, not just in terms of ordering your life, but finding purpose and fulfillment in life? Um, and if you, if you are a believer and this isn't your church home, well, let me remind you that grounding yourself somewhere, here or wherever that may be, insofar as they teach the Word of God, um, is, is valuable to you because it will build you up and you will be supported by the body of Christ. Uh, for those of you who call this church home, um, you've been in my prayers this week that um, as we do in this tribe where everything has a sign and a symbol and a movement and a liturgy and a this and a that, um, as you walk forward and bring those, my prayer for you this week has been that as you physically walk, so you would spiritually draw near to Jesus. That your commitments that you make financially are just a symbol of what you're doing in your own heart, in your own lives with him, that we're all called to move forward, all called to recommit, all called to draw near to Jesus. And as we do so, he never moves, he never changes, he's always there for us. And so we find these principles at play as we do so. So in a moment, as we um, make such a commitment, um, might the Lord draw you near to him? Ed will play some music, and, and really there's no uh, obligation, but as you feel led, um, I'd invite you to come forward. But as, before we do that, might I pray for us all towards this end, um, and then just come as the Lord leads. Let us pray. Gracious Father, we thank you first and foremost that um, you provide for every need. You know our needs even before we ask. And so, Lord, as we um, wrestle down our relationship with you, we wrestle down our commitments with you, we respond in some form or fashion, Lord, um, may we find uh, you as you are, um, our provider in this topic, but uh, more importantly, the one who, who loves us um, and who gave himself for us, that as we draw near to you towards that end, um, we might discover uh, who you are, unchanging, unmoving, uh, and, and one who is always there for us in every aspect. So may we walk into that more fully as we walk and lay before you the things that you have prompted us to do at this time. And we ask all that through Jesus Christ, our Lord.